this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about church. (laughs) We've been talking about what the church is. Uh, We began by actually looking at it in the sense that it is more than just a building, right? And I am going to pause and we're going to... uh, My computer went to sleep. What the heck? Jolt. Man, I had such a strong start too. You guys felt that. That was going somewhere. (laughs) Just kidding, guys. Um, But for real, over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about the church. We've been talking about what exactly is it. We looked at it as more than just like the building that we come to. We played uh, charades here at the church a a number of weeks ago for uh, a thing that we were doing with our friends, a Friendsgiving, and uh, Adam picked the church out of the little bowl, and he's like, the building that we're in. I was like, no, it is more than just a building, right? Didn't you listen to my sermon on Sunday? Well, we talked about how the church is more than just a building, right? We've talked about the ecclesia of God, the, the, the collected people of God. We looked at Matthew chapter 16 a, a few weeks ago, and we looked at how Jesus promised to build his church upon the rock, upon the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. We, we looked at uh, even the, the kind of the instinctual need in humanity for community and God's call for us to do things together. We looked at the the notion that we are not able to sustain Christian vitality alone, right? That we are called to do this thing together. And I I think it's interesting, and I should have pointed this out uh, a few messages ago, but uh, whenever you read the term saints in the New Testament, like in the Bible, it's always in the plural. I think that's interesting. I think that's by design that you won't find the word saint uh, just referencing somebody as an individual throughout the entirety of the New Testament. How crazy is that? When God references his people, he references the saints, and it's this collective nature of, uh, of the body of Christ together. And last week, we, we examined the purpose of the church, right? Uh, it's primary reason for existence, if you will. You know, many people argue that the church exists as a, as a lighthouse for the lost and uh, everything that we need to do needs to be geared towards outreach and evangelism. And then there's kind of the other end of the pendulum where people are like, the primary role and the function of the church is to disciple believers and raise up mature men and women of God. And we agree with both of those things as necessity in the mission of the church, but neither one of those things are really the primary reason for its existence. We talked last week about how the church doesn't primarily exist for the lost. It doesn't primarily exist for the saved. It primarily exists for the purpose and pleasure of God. Right? We, we looked at Ephesians chapter 5. We looked at, at this notion that God has bought his church and it's for his good pleasure that we exist. Um, and that's first and foremost why the church collectively exists is because God desires a bride, and that's our primary function. And these aspects of the church, of evangelism, outreach, of maturity, and spiritual discipline, all of these things that kind of work together are still important aspects 
of the church, but we can't, get, we can't lose our identity in them. Our identity, first and foremost, is the bride of Christ, right? We talked a little bit about that last week, and I'm, I'm just kind of going over a few of the things that we have talked about that will lead up to what we're going to really hit home on today. Right? Uh, last week we, we read Ephesians chapter 2, and we looked at the beautiful promise that God is building his church together to be a dwelling place for himself. We have this promise by his spirit that he would build and unite his people together that he might dwell amongst them. That's a promise that we sang into this morning, that we are here, we are gathered together, that God might dwell amongst us. That there might be a place for his spirit, for his glory to dwell. And it's been a fun few weeks. I've really enjoyed kind of tackling these things, especially on a Sunday morning. And I realize how weird it is to be preaching on the importance of the church to the church. It's like, uh, we're the ones here. Like, we get this. But I so want us to, to move past the place of just, like, uh, throwing out uh, elementary things because we think like we've progressed past that. I think sometimes the basic understanding of spiritual things is uh, often overlooked because we try to find a flashier, like more uh, profound revelation. And we miss out on some of the key aspects of some of the simple truths of Scripture. And so we've been talking about why we gather. And this week is kind of going to be a culmination of those things of why we gather. And this teaching has kind of been the culmination of uh, just concern of a pastor's heart, of seeing, not necessarily in this church, but just collectively, the lack of intentionality amongst God's people to prioritize coming to church. Uh, it, it's very much, uh, I was, I've been reading statistics, and a lot of the times I use uh, the Barna group to kind of compile information for my sermons. Do you know they consider the active churchgoer, somebody that, cons- that uh, when they're like trying to like do their statistics and bringing things together, uh, for somebody to be considered an active churchgoer, they have to go more than two times a year. That's active. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm so active. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I, I mean, that was just one of the studies that I was reading because I was like, well, what constitutes an active churchgoer? And it was like, they have to attend at least once every six months in this particular survey, in this particular study. And I was just like, what? <laughs> uh, and it, I really think a lot of this stems from the idea, and we've talked about it a few times, but this, uh, this idea that uh, we don't go to church, we are the church. And I've talked about how those things have kind of been unfairly pitted against each other because in reality, they're, they're, they're conducive to one another. You can't effectively be the church if you neglect going to church, right? That, that, that They're not at odds with one another. They actually go together. If you want to be the church well, I think there's this aspect of going to church that's a necessity, I want you to be, I want to be very clear that, you know, I'm not here trying to guilt trip, guilt trip people into coming to our church or sitting in our pews or filling up seats here. That's actually the last thing that I want is that people just to come to church to please pastor. You know, that doesn't do anybody any good. That doesn't do you any good. That doesn't do me any good. And at the end of the day, I'm not really concerned about just making sure that the church is full or that people are here. 
But what I do want us to understand is that there is a weight. There is a, there is a reason why we gather. And if we can grasp hold of that that's tender to the Lord's heart, we can receive from him what he has from us. But when we neglect the church and we neglect this assembly and we neglect coming together as God's people, we're missing out on a huge thing that God has for us. And we're inevitably uh, going to miss out on even more. And so as we examine the scriptures, as we look at the importance of why we gather, I want you to know that there is more to it than just you guys showing up. There's more to it than like somebody in the back taking attendance to make sure who was here and who wasn't here. Um, because if we can do this whole Christian thing um, with just like a variety of potlucks and, you know, like coffee shop gatherings, let's do that instead. You know, like that's easier. We don't need a building. We don't need to pay for lights. We don't need to uh, have electricity or those things. Like if, that, if that's possible... Like, let's do that. Like, why, why isn't that? And I know that's an argument from a lot of the, the house church reformation people that, that exist. Like, we need to get back to the origin. We need to get back to the basics. And I, I can understand some of the sentiment there. But there is a reason why we've gathered the way that we've gathered. There's a reason why we're doing things the way that we're doing. Um, and there's a reason why we assemble the way that we do. And I'm excited to talk about that. I'm excited to talk about why we gather, why we assemble. I'm not going to make an argument this morning that the modern church is the perfect expression of God's intent for it. Um, and that's the reason why you should go. <laughs> I believe quite the contrary, actually. I think there's a lot of work to be done in the bride of Christ. I believe there's a lot of work to be done within the expression of the church today. And it's good reason for us to be involved in it rather than jump ship. Does that make sense? I mean, everybody's like, oh, there's so much wrong with the church. There's so much wrong within organized religion. And we've got this kind of, uh, this theme of deconstructing faith and, you know, leaving the church and leaving religion and maybe just embracing Jesus. And the reality of that is, is while that sounds good on paper, that sounds good maybe in theory and the language is pretty, but to depart from the church is to depart from the bride of Christ. To depart from the church uh, is to depart from the very uh, thing that God loves, and that's the collective body of believers. And I, I think it's devastating to see this kind of thought run rampant because we see people step out of spiritual covering. We see people step out of accountability. We see people step out of sound doctrine and into all kinds of nonsense that leads down a slippery slope. And there is a purpose uh, for the church. There is a reason why God has instituted his people and instructed us to gather in this way. There's a reason why I've devoted my life to the church, and that's because I love God's people. I love the church of God, and I think it's something that should be highly valued amongst us as believers. Not something to be neglected, not something to be ridiculed, not something to be talked ill of, not something to criticize, but something to be cherished and treasured that we should be actively engaged in. One of the things I noticed, the strongest critics of the church... The strongest voices that I've heard of why we shouldn't be doing what we're doing always come from people that have never actually been consistently involved. I know that people have been hurt. I know that people have been, I'm talking about my personal experience here. 
I know elsewhere, you know, there's been spiritual manipulation and all kinds of weird leadership struggles. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are the conversations that my wife and I have had about people that have uh, thoughts on how we should do church differently or how we should do church better. And I don't know how many times Kelly and I have had meals or had coffee or had conversations with somebody that had these brilliant ideas of all the things that the church should be doing and how we should be doing them. And uh, we'd leave those conversations maybe excited about ministry, excited about what God could do. And then we see very slowly the commitment and the consistency evaporate. And these people disappear all these people that had such gung-ho ideas on how we should be doing church better are gone. And I want to be very clear, friends. Uh, the leadership of this church, the pastoral staff of this church, we need you to hear from God. We need God to burden you with mission and with purpose. We need you to, to, to come to us and, and share what God's leading you to do. I want, I want, to, I want to encourage you with that. But one of the most discouraging things for us is to hear that we should be doing something. God told me to tell you that you should be doing this. And then all of a sudden, the people that have those ideas, have that uh, kind of direction from the Lord, uh, disappear. And we can't see the commitment even uh, so much to be involved on a Sunday morning, which really isn't that big of a commitment. You know, it's not that big of an inconvenience for most people, <laughs> if I'm being 100% honest. Everybody has this ideal picture of what the perfect church should look like, right? We, uh, we have a list of the ministries that it should be involved with, what the pastor should preach on, what the music should sound like. And it's, can I tell you, if we at Open Door Church could meet every one of your expectations and we could like custom tailor it exactly for you, you would still be disappointed in us. You'd still be able to find room to be frustrated and discouraged with what we do as an organization and as a church. And that's because the church is made up of imperfect people. I want you to know that I will let you down. I promise you that. I can promise you a lot of things, but there's one thing with certainty as the pastor of this church that I can promise you is that I will probably let you down. Most of you have already let down this morning, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that I'm imperfect. I'm flawed. We're flawed in this place, but we serve a perfect Savior, right? Who is at work in his church that is doing a refining process, right? A sanctifying process to make us into the image of his son, to present us as a bride without spot or wrinkle to himself. He is at work in his church, and that should be good enough reason for you to be involved in what he's doing here, because he wants to make you the perfect image of himself. He wants to make you a bride without spot or wrinkle. But one of the things that I understand that, uh, that I think a lot of people don't is that for a church to be healthy, it requires commitment from the congregants uh, to be refined, you don't get to be refined. You don't get to a place of spiritual, spiritual maturity with sporadic commitment or sporadic attendance. It's a process to commit to, not a once-in-a-while occurrence. 
this refining of the bride of Christ, this refinement of, uh, of the people of God to be presented to God. This is what Ephesians 5, uh, 25, 26, and 27 says. He's speaking in the context of hus- husbands loving their wives, but it goes on to say, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of the water by the word, the word of God, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Thriving spiritual community cannot be built without commitment. One of the things that I, 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 I don't want it to sound like, oh man, we just want people to show up. We want to have numbers. We want to be able to do the things that God has laid upon our heart to do. And to do that, we need people here. We need people present. But the reality of it is, to be a thriving spiritual family, we need people to commit to being engaged, to being involved. Beyond just showing up on a Sunday morning and sitting in pews. You guys understand that, right? When I'm talking about being engaged in the church, my, my thought is really not so much that you guys would just show up and make sure that you're here on Sunday morning, but that's a first step. <laughs> that's a part of it. Uh, to be engaged and to be active is far beyond just kind of showing up to hear me talk and maybe sing some songs. That's not what I'm getting at here. But for us to build a thriving family, like what we talked about last week, requires us to consistently be a part of what God's doing. It's not enough to be kind of fringe associated with a church denomination or a church building or, you know, a a group of believers and expect God to be able to use that to transform the culture around us. He wants to use the church as the family of God to see the kingdom of darkness pushed back to see the lost saved, to see disciples uh, made out of believers. All of these things work together, but it, does, it requires more than a passing commitment. Does that make sense? Okay. Guys, we're an assembly of God church. I'm proud of that fact. I love the assemblies of God. I'm really stoked about that. This isn't a message on denominations or anything like that. We talked a little bit about the word ecclesia which actually, uh, it's a Greek word for the church that's used throughout the New Testament, which means a called out assembly, a distinct group of gathering people, right? We've talked about that the last few weeks. And this is the point in my message where I would really love to be super witty and be able to like come up with something corny that would stick in your minds about like assembling together as the people of God. You know, I think of like the Avengers, you know, you guys saw that last movie maybe where it's like Avengers assemble. I want to be like saints assemble or something like that. It'd just be really corny and be really silly, but you're laughing right now. Uh, at the fact that I'm awkward and that I shouldn't try that. (laughs) But that's where I would like to go this morning. But we're going to talk about the assembly of the saints. We're going to talk about what that is, why we gather. um, And I got to be honest with you. I was talking to Adam yesterday and I was telling him, man, uh, I've been working hard on this teaching uh, to bring before the church, but it feels more like instead of a sermon that I would preach, it kind of feels like a blog post, you know? 
I don't know if anybody gets like BuzzFeed articles ever, or if you see them on social media kind of uh, staggering around. They, they look something like the, the top five reasons why you should buy into cryptocurrency right now, or a list of 41 horrible movies that you should never watch in your life, or, or all of these different things. It's like lists of things, right? <laughs> the top five. And I was going to be like, the top five reasons why you should go to church. And as I was praying about it, I was reflecting upon it even this morning. Uh, I got to be honest with you. There's a lot of benefits of being actively engaged in the local body of Christ. There are tons. And I, I, I mean, I, I could list some of them for you here. I would love, I'd love to argue with you about how it increases our faith. It nurtures spiritual growth. It renews our mind. It corrects and protects us. provides a spiritual covering. And at some point, friends, I promise to delve deeper into that topic. I promise to maybe give you some kind of list. Maybe I'll do a blog post. Maybe I should start a blog. I don't know. Uh, everybody shook their heads at me. Don't do it. I don't have time. Okay, maybe like a TikTok, right? Those are short, like a quick, uh, quick TikTok posts or something like that about why uh, you should uh, come to church. And it's more than just my pastor said so. It's more than just, you know, I want to get golden attendance on the little board or something like that. There are real tangible benefits about showing up to church. One of them is, uh, I like to preach in series. And so a lot of the times, what I'll teach on this week uh, is directly a continuation of what I preached on last week. And then that week will be a continuation of what I preached on the week before because I like to, I like to get into the groove of what God has me teach on. And so if you're uh, consistently only showing up for uh, one part of uh, a message here or there, you're going to miss out on a lot of what the context of what I'm talking about is. And so this is a plug. Uh, we have a podcast. I know that everybody can't make every week and be here every waking moment of every single day that this church is open, but we do have a podcast. We have videos on YouTube that if you want to catch up with some of the things that we've been teaching, some of the things that we've been talking about, uh, that's great. Uh, that's a, a practical benefit, not one of the five reasons why you should show up to church. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's not really what I'm going to talk about today. I also, uh, in, in conversation, I really wanted to jump into church history. Uh, how many of you guys know that the church has a rich history? <laughs> There's lots of things to study that we can learn from the people that went before us. Uh, I think there's some really cool tidbits uh, that I kind of uncovered as I was preparing for this sermon today that I really wanted to talk about the Lord's Day and why we gather on Sunday and look at like, well, what did the early church do when they gathered beyond just the book of Acts and, and looking at these things. Um, but I'm going to condense it wildly this morning just for the sake of time, and I think it'd be really cool because we're going to uncover some of the stuff in Deeper Project as we get into Hebrews, um, which is fun. Plug for Deeper Project there too, 5.30. Uh, come, it'll be great. <laughs> but uh, from the very onset, from the beginning of the church, which we read about in the book of Acts, starting on the day of Pentecost, we see uh, there in Acts 2, uh, 42, we continue to read on into Acts 20, verse 7. We see this pattern set up in the word of God of the church gathering together weekly to hear the teaching of God's word. 
Um, and a lot of that existed because they didn't have like personal copies of the Bible that just they could like pass out or these things. Uh, there was a gathering that took place. The Lord's flock, if you would want to use some of the language that scripture uses, would come to be fed. First uh, Peter would uh, describe that in First Peter chapter 5. Um, we saw the gathering of the church come together outside of homes in public spaces. It was very interesting. Um, and I, I want to read this. Just um, This is uh, one of the early church historians who lived uh, just shortly after the time of Jesus within the first century church AD. So this is like the very like groundbreaking pioneer movement of the church as we know it. Um, but uh, this is what, his name was Justin Martyr. And so he was born... Uh, less than 100 years after Christ, and he wrote about the practices of the first believers. And I, I want to give you this. This is in his first apology, uh, number 67. I don't understand how that works, but uh, reading this here, he says this, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to the one place, and memoirs and letters and gospels of the apostles or the writings of the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president or the pastor verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. He would go on and describe the church gathering together and singing as well. He would talk about prayer as well in his writings of what the first uh, first century church looked like in its gathering. I think that's pretty cool. I'm not here to make an argument that we should do church and that you should gather and that we should uh, do what we do here just from a historian though. Just because that's what the church has always done. How many of you guys know there are things that people have always done that are really silly and uh, really just don't make any sense. You know, it's one of the qualms that Jesus had was that the tradition was held higher than the word of God. And so with that being said, we're going to spend the majority of our time in one passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. And I believe the most convincing arguments that I have for the necessity of being engaged in the local body of Christ doesn't come from the benefits that you might receive of being a part of this body. It doesn't come from the fact that it's just what we've always done and it's been that way since the very beginning but I believe it comes straight from the word of God and the fact that he instructs us to do so. I think that it would be easy for us to kind of leverage like the benefits, the pros, and uh, I don't, there's, I mean, you might not be able to sleep in on late on a Sunday morning when I talk about a con. Um, <laughs> but the reality of it is God instructs us to be a part of this assembly. And to not forsake it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a moment. And that should be enough for anyone that confesses faith in Jesus Christ, that claims to love him, to make this a real priority in everyday life. The reality is spirituality in America, spirituality in our culture is treated as something that we just add to what we've already got going on. Jesus is often looked at as something good that we'll add to our life to make it better, right? I, I, like to, I like to equate it with the idea of like seasoning. 
You know, you put seasoning on a steak to bring out the flavor. You put salt and pepper on it to to really emphasize the meat. And we kind of treat Jesus that way. We've got our life and we're good and we're going to add a little Jesus on top to make things just better. But the reality of it is, is that there's supposed to be an exchange that takes place. Jesus and spirituality, all of this stuff that we're talking about was never designed just to make our life better. But we were rather intended to surrender everything to the man. Jesus in exchange for a new life, a better one, right? So we can't treat Jesus, we can't treat Christianity as something that we just merely add to what we've got going on already and somehow hope that it gets better. It's something we subject ourselves to to be radically reimagined and rearranged by. Does that make sense? So one of the things that I think is very uh, compelling for us to understand when we come together as the church. One of the reasons why we should prioritize it, um, and the strongest reason that I'm going to present to you today, is that God tells us to. Not me. (laughs) Not culture. Not BuzzFeed blog post or whatnot. But the fact that God instructs us through his word that we should not forsake the assembly of the saints. We're going to read this here because I think there's a lot more to that than just like you showing up. But beginning in verse uh, 23, it says this, that let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day of his return approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hebrews chapter 10 is one of the ground stake passages of scripture for my life. That if I ever am worried about uh, falling away from the people and the grace of God, I, I love to read Hebrews chapter 10 because it puts a holy fear in me. That is, necessi- that is necessary for believers if you're ever like, feel like you're just like too loosey-goosey with your faith, like get really sober and read Hebrews chapter 10 multiple times because it talks about there no longer remaining a sacrifice for your sin if you go on willingly. <laughs> if you go on trampling the grace of God underfoot. There's a lot of teaching and doctrine that exists about God is love and God is full of grace and there's always these second chances for you. 
But the reality of Scripture is that there is a serious aspect of sin that God wants to deliver and God wants to save us from. And if we willingly go on in those in those trends and in that capacity, that there no longer remains a sacrifice for us and that there is judgment to be had. I want you to understand this because I've encouraged people to read Hebrews chapter 10, but most of the time I encourage them uh, to start in chapter, chapter, verse, uh, chapter 10, but I encourage them in verse 26 to start reading about, uh, about this kind of fearful hand of God and talking about how there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But in the context of the entirety of Hebrews chapter 10, we find some remarkable things. The whole first part of Hebrews chapter 10 is dealing with the price Jesus paid on Calvary, talking about him as a greater atonement than the blood of bulls and calves, but how he's our good high priest who willingly laid down his life so that we might come uh, near that we might draw uh, close with boldness to him. And that's where we get into, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And it's in that context, because of what Jesus did, our response should be verse 24, that we should consider one another. Again, this whole language of one another uh, coming up, we talked about it two weeks ago, how it's not, uh, Christianity isn't something that we can do uh, in the singular, that it is something that uh, happens together relationally with other believers, but that we should consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. I want to talk about this phrase, the assembling of ourselves together. A lot of people will be like, yeah, well, we can do that, like meeting one-on-one -on -one with coffee. We can do that uh, just kind of going throughout our business. But the, the word here is episynagogue in the Greek, and it's a formal gathering of people. And so uh, it, it, is, it is strongly suggested by the language here that what the author of Hebrews is referencing is the gathering of the saints in the collective body to worship like had been done uh, throughout, uh, throughout, the, throughout the years in the establishment of the early church. I believe very firmly here, and we could talk a little bit longer about that, but what the assembly of the saints here, I believe, is the collective gathering of God's people uh, based on the usage of the word episynagogue, which I'm probably butchering when you're actually like listening to it in the Greek, um, uh, but it looks like the same thing, and talking about the gathering of God's people, and that we should come together exhorting one another and that it should only increase as we grow closer to the Lord's return. I want you to think about this, friends. And I need you to understand this. The main heart about what is being spoken here of gathering together as God's people is not your attendance. It's not that you would show up and when you stand before God on the day of judgment, well, God, I went to church 472,000 times. And I never missed a sermon that Pastor Nate preached. The heart, the context of what we're reading here is the necessity of us gathering together as the assembly that we might encourage one another, that we might exhort one another, 
and going on, and I'm not going to be able to get to this, but that we would edify one another. A lot of the times you think that you might come to church so that you could get something from the pastor that you might be fed. That's okay. I'm not just completely throw that out of the window yet. (laughs) But the reality of it is, is that there is this idea that you would come to church, that you would be a part of the fellowship, that you'd be a part of the assembly, not just so that you could receive, but that you could encourage someone else as well. And I, I, I could argue about how we come to church to give something back to God, but we also come to church to give something back to one another. And the reality of it is, is that we need you as the saints of God, as the church of God, to be active and engaged and involved because there is an encouragement that only you can bring to the table. Notice here, it doesn't say uh, that we should all gather together just so that the pastor can yell at us and tell us to do better. But there is an aspect of the coming together of God's people that is so pivotal um, to us actually reaching the goal (laughs) that we have to, we really need to begin to wrap our minds around the fact that church is more than just something that we intend, but it, it is something that we invest our whole lives into. And I want you to know, friends, if you're here and, man, maybe you've been attending on Sunday mornings, maybe you've been uh, passively involved for a little bit, there is so much more to the life of the church than just being here on Sunday morning. But I am encouraged that your testimony in Jesus is intact and that you are here. I love that fact, but I believe that there is more to be had within the life of the church than simply kind of showing up and saying, you know what, I'm doing my dues I filled out my time, I'm here. We understand that, right? If the extent of your Christian fellowship is a potluck that we do, or maybe one of the family dinners that we love, friends, we're missing the mark. I I want you to think about this. If you've been a part of this church for any number of years, and you can't recall the last time that you had somebody over for dinner, (laughs) I I really want you to be challenged by that. Because last week, we, we really leaned into the fact that we're called to be a family, are we not? We're not just a social club. We're not just something that we do to take up time on Sunday mornings. And I know that a lot of people that have gripes with kind of local church congregations, and they, and they, they have frustration with the way that we do church is really that it's not enough for a lot of people. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're rooted in some truth there. Because the... The picture of the church is not just that we would come and we would hear somebody talk and we'd hear somebody preach. It's more than that. And so we can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together because it's in this place. And I believe what God designed and loves about his church is there has to be room for us to encourage one another to do love or to to do good works in love. And then to exhort one another, to challenge one another in teaching. But all of this works together, friends, uh, to keep us from what we read in verse 26. I have for a long time been uh, just wary of what we read in verses 26 through 30. I mean, it's hard language. 
it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sober, is it not? That if we sin willfully after we have received knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Like that's, ugh, we don't want that. How do we keep from that? How do we keep from going on uh, in sin willfully? I believe the author of Hebrews gave us the context that we shouldn't forsake the gathering of the saints, that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that we actually need one another to encourage one another, to stir up love and good works, that we need one another, that we need to exhort one another in the gathering of God's people. Because when we get out onto this kind of branch or this notion that, you know, we're good and we can do it ourselves, I believe it's a trap from the enemy where we find ourselves in sin. I've seen this happen over and over and over and over and over and over again as a pastor of this church with people that used to sit where a lot of you are sitting right now. That they had some kind of offense. They had some kind of qualm with my leadership style or the things that I've preached or the songs that we would sing or insert your reason here. And they decided that they could do it better by themselves. They step out of the family of God, the encouragement, the exhortation that comes, the correction that comes, the spiritual accountability and the covering that exists, which we could talk about. Read Hebrews chapter 13 and really try to argue with me that God doesn't have spiritual authority these days and that he doesn't give it as a gift to the body of believers. Somebody will, and we can later. But I've seen people step out of the family of God. Hearts in love with Jesus wanting to do the right thing, feeling like they can do it better because some kind of offense. And I can't account for any single one of these people that I'm thinking about right now that are still serving the Lord today. Because we weren't designed to do it by ourselves. And I'm not saying that Open Door Church or that any church in particular has the perfect expression of what it's supposed to look like. But I do know that in this house, as a part of this family, we're going to do everything that we can to encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good works. That we're going to exhort one another, that we're going to challenge one another, especially as we see the Lord's return drawing nearer. there isn't another way. <laughs> Trust me, friends, if there was a way that we could just be like, press the Christian button, <laughs> say yes to Jesus, pray this prayer, figure it out, and it'd be good. Church is not easy. It's messy. People are messy. But it's 100% worthwhile.
in a day and age where it's increasingly easier to digest good spiritual content. There's great podcasts to listen to. There's maybe even a handful of good teachers that you might be able to find on TV. I, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm sure there's a handful. <laughs> you can kind of have your flavor and choice of the best pastors in the country because they're all throwing, uh, they're all throwing around their sermons on YouTube. We throw our stuff out on YouTube. I think we have like six followers. It's great. <laughs> The trend of, you know, doing church at home is on the rise, but none of it is a replacement for the family of God to interact as the family of God. Because just as much as the Word of God needs to be preached, maybe not just as much, but as the Word of God needs to be preached, as worship is vital to any aspect of the church. And we, I really wanted to talk about like what makes a church a church, but I just don't have time today. I could talk about how uh, there, there ought to be singing because scripture instructs us to come together with singing. Uh, that first and paramount, that the word of God has to be preached. <laughs> There's aspect to the preaching of the word of God. Uh, we see uh, room for prayer when we read about the spiritual gifts. There, there are things that exist within our service that we do, not just because we want to do them, but because they're a part of what God instructs us to do. And that's why we have these different things, that what makes a church a church. That's why there's, there's aspects about what we do on a Sunday morning that you can't get just by having coffee with a friend. There's fellowship that has to have that has to take place as the greater body of the construct of Christ. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to say. There's fellowship that has to be vital to the activity of the church. But church is not just fellowship. And church is not just the preaching of the word. And church is not just worship. And church is not just ministry. And church is not just evangelism. These things are all things that play into the body of Christ and what the church is called to be and what it's called to look like. And we can't afford to neglect any single aspect of them. But one of the most important aspects of the church is you. Being committed, being engaged, being involved. Because I believe that there is something that you bring to the table that serves as an encouragement to others just by being here. Your testimony of God doing something in your life to where he means enough to you that you would show up on a Sunday morning is encouraging. <laughs> and it's encouraging to the rest of us in this room and it's certainly encouraging to me as the pastor. But it moves beyond that as well. So friends, I, I would pray that you wouldn't despise what we do here. That you wouldn't forsake it that it wouldn't fall low on your list of priorities. And you're thinking about how we gather and what we do and how we do this, this Sunday morning thing. I, I pray that you'd be encouraged to be involved. And friends, I know, I, I know I picked a weird week to preach this message as the majority of people are traveling for, for the holidays and stuff. I got, I got people sending me text messages this morning saying, uh, Pastor Nate, we're not going to be here today, uh, but we do love the church. And those, I, I, that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about, guys. I'm not here like 
just bummed because your attendance rate is only 80% and you should be here every waking moment. But I want us to so value what God does in the assembly of his people, in the assembly of his saints. Because there's something special that happens when God's people come together. Right? All the way back in Matthew, Jesus instructs us where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. And there's this beautiful promise of him meeting us as we gather that is so important. We're going to talk more about this. We're going to dig into it a little bit deeper, especially during Deeper Project, because I have a lot more to say. But my prayer is that God would continue to build his church and that he would receive glory from it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.